Well, we're going to finish up Luke chapter 8 here this morning. And when we tell these stories in the Bible, we go through, it's so easy to just go one story at a time and tell them as one story disconnected from the flow of what's going on. And it's very important to see what came before, what's coming after this. And if you look right at the beginning of Luke 9, Jesus is going to call together the 12 disciples. He's going to give them authority over demons and over disease, and he's going to send them out to do ministry on their own. Panic. Because so far, they've just been hanging out watching Jesus. And that's easy. Just watching Jesus do all of it. But at some point, he's getting you ready to say, now, did you see what I've done? Now, you're going to go and do the same thing. And in fact, he said that we were going to do even greater works than what he had done. Miracles are still happening today in the world. We may not see them in dramatic form as much, but definitely we see them. If you travel to other parts of the world, you will see many of these exact miracles in Africa, in India, and in fact, that there have been waves of revival, say in India, you've heard me mention, purely because they have seen these kinds of miracles happen. And they would say to the missionaries, well, if you pray for my mother who is on her deathbed, and if she is healed, then I'll believe in your Jesus. There's no big long debate. Either Jesus really does perform these types of miracles and restore our lives, or he doesn't. And that is that requires us to be putting our faith to the test. Do you really believe that the Lord can meet the needs of the people in your own family and the people out in our community? Or is it just a nice lesson to believe in Jesus? In Luke 6:40, Jesus said, "A disciple is not above his teacher." But everyone who is perfectly trained will be like his teacher. That is our highest goal. Did you know that as a Christian? Is to become like Jesus. Disciple means that we are a student. We're becoming like our teacher. In order for you to believe and really have this kind of faith that the Lord can work through your your life, The Lord is going to take you through an experience so that you personally see the power of God at work in your life. How many of you have ever experienced a miracle in your own life? Let me hear, let me see hands. It's important that you remember that and not just downplay it as this this thing that happened a long time ago. When you personally experience the power of God or really anything in life, then it really becomes real to you personally. I was thinking just on the way uh, driving here this morning, did you know that uh, there where the Columbia River meets the ocean in Astoria? You ever driven to Astoria? The waters there are among the roughest 
waters. Extremely dangerous to go out in a boat there. And because it is so dangerous, the Coast Guard brings rookies there from all over the country and they train them in those waters. It is so dangerous, they call it the graveyard of the Pacific. What better place to, tra- to train new, new Coast Guard than at the most dangerous place? Because that's their job, is to save lives. And that's exactly what happens to you. Our job is not just to fill a church or quote little Bible verses to people that seem to be in need, but we're literally seeing lives changed and lives saved. And that means we have to believe it. And we believe it because we've experienced it. Amen? Amen. And so there's three stories here we're going to look at in Luke 8 that are dramatic stories, but they are training for the disciples, just like things you've been through. Follow with me. The first one, it picks up at verse 22, and it's a story about a distressed sea or the storm on the sea. It says, now it happened on a certain day that he, Jesus, got into a boat with his disciples, and he said to them, let us cross over to the other side of the lake. And they launched out. But as they, set, as they sailed, he fell asleep. And a windstorm came up on the lake, and they were filling with water and were in jeopardy. They came to him and awoke him, saying, Master, Master, We are perishing. He arose and rebuked the wind and the raging of the water, and they ceased, and they were calm. And he said to them, where is your faith? And they were afraid and marveled, saying to one another, who can this be? For he commands even the winds and water, and they obey him. Now, up to this point, The disciples have already seen Jesus do amazing things. And as much as you and I have already seen the Lord do amazing things in our lives, you know, we're still learning about who Jesus is. We are constantly discovering new things. And here the disciples are, they know who he is, and yet they're they're freaking out, go, Even the wind and the waves obey him. Now, in the Sea of Galilee, it was and is common for these types of violent storms to suddenly come up as the winds blow through that area. As they got into the boat, what did Jesus say to them? Do you remember? Remember last week I talked to you about listening? Do you remember that? Did you hear me when I said it's important to listen? You see, the thing about being a a preacher is I could say the same things over again because either you didn't hear me or you forgot half of what I said. But I'm pretty much the same. I appreciate how the Lord repeats himself to me. And we're all like that. As they got into the boat, I'll tell you what he said in a second. 
Jesus goes to sleep. Now, does he know a storm is coming? Of course, that's a rhetorical question. He knows a storm is coming up. And when the storm comes up, the disciples wake him up and tell him what's going on as if he didn't know. Have you ever told God what's going on as if he didn't know? When you, when you just do plain, simple Bible, it's kind of Bible study, it's kind of funny. We, we see ourselves in the story. They're waking up the Son of God and telling him what's going on as if he doesn't know that there is a storm. And so Jesus gets up, he rebukes the storm, the storm is calmed, and then he rebukes them. Where is your faith? In other words, Jesus expected them by this time to have the faith to get through this difficulty. It's not good when you and I go through the same trial and freak out the same way over and over again, as if you forgot how the Lord took care of you the last time you were in this trial. Where is your faith? Now, was it reasonable for Jesus to expect the disciples to have peace in the storm? That's the trick question. Was it reasonable? Now you're going to say, yes, it was reasonable. But based on what? Based on what? Just because, sure, they've already seen him do miracles. But the main thing is what he said to them when they were getting in the boat. He said, let us go to the other side of the lake. It's that, it's that simple. If Jesus said to them, let's go to the other side, then it doesn't matter what comes up between the shorelines. It doesn't matter if a storm comes up. He already told us we're going to get to the other side. And often, you know, we judge whether we can trust the Lord based on how, how panicked the situation is. But over the years, you know, you and I are growing in our ability to trust the Lord in any circumstance. In any circumstance. And the older you get, the more and more peace you have. My mother was like this. It seemed like it didn't matter what came into her life or our home. She just had this peace that passed understanding. And there are people that I know that really their whole life is marked by, by trial or sickness. For the past six or seven weeks, I get a text almost every day from the wife of one of my former board members at the church I pastored in Portland. Ten years ago, he had a, a, a transplant. And then about six years ago, because his, his health is frail, he went into the hospital. He's getting worse and worse. And I get these texts. He's doing better today, oxygen levels, worse today, better today. And it seems... 
whatever is going on with this man at, at really at death's door, his wife, my friend, Kim, she has the peace of God that passes understanding. It's an amazing, amazing peace that she has, the faith. She was my children's ministry director for many years. And her husband was on my board. And then almost a parallel situation. Um, my own sister, her husband passed away Thursday night. He is on a transplant list, waiting list. His health has been back and forth for years and years and years. Now, these two women, I can talk to them at any day, no matter what is going on, and they, they go, well, I'm fine. I'm trusting the Lord, and I think they mean it. They're not panicked because the coffee maker didn't work in the morning. Or the car broke down and, oh, no, what are we going to do? We don't have an extra $300 to pay that bill. They're literally dealing with life and death. And they are just amazing, amazing women of faith. And I know that people like that are such a testimony to people around them. Because everybody else looks at them and says, how are you holding up under this? How, how are you ever dealing with this? And I'm thinking, I don't know if I could handle that. But this kind of trust in the Lord that passes understanding is quite amazing. So my friend Caesar, my former board member, they transferred him to Seattle, which to, to a hospice care uh, rec not really hospice, but recovery. So that's progress for him. Uh, my brother-in-law, Casey, is with the Lord. So um, it's just amazing to keep trusting the Lord during these times. Hebrews 10.23 is a favorite verse of mine. It says, hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Have you ever felt like your hope in the Lord is wavering and you try and hope, hold on, but you're not holding on? That's not what this verse is about. It says, hold fast to your confession of hope. And that means there are times when you and I might feel so overwhelmed, we feel hopeless. That's the emotion of hope. But even in times where I might feel hopeless, I still have a confession of hope in the Lord. And that's different from the feelings of hope. You see, the word confess means to agree with or to say the same thing. And here's the thing. On days when I feel hopeless, I still fully agree that my hope is in the Lord. And that's what that means. And so in the past, I used to think, well, if I can't hold on, then God can't work in my life. That's a weird legalism we slip into. But what I've discovered is that even when I cannot hold on and I'm freaking out, the Lord is still faithful. That's what grace is about, that God is faithful even in our, in our worst of days. 
And you learn that kind of lesson through a lot of years of life. The second story we're going to look at this morning picks up at verse 26. A story about a demon-possessed man. They sailed to the country of the Gadarenes, which is opposite Galilee. And when he stepped out of the land, there met him a certain man from the city who had demons for a long time. He wore no clothes, nor did he live in a house, but in the tombs. And when he saw Jesus, he cried out, fell out fell down before him, and with a loud voice said, What have I to do with you, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, do not torment me. Even as I'm reading this story this week about this wild man who is running naked through the streets, he, he, nobody can help him. He really reminded me of some homeless people that we have. Not that everybody out homeless is demon-possessed. I think some of them may be. We don't know whether it's drugs or mental illness or demon possession. All of that kind of looks the same, the same to us um, who are fully clothed. Thank you. But it's amazing that this man full of demons knows who Jesus is and cries out to him. Jesus commands the demons to leave, but then asks, what is your name? And you know the story, the demon said, Legion, for we are many. Every time I read this story, I remember um, <clears throat> I used to own a haagen store in Laguna Beach, California. And just down the street from my store was a Hare Krishna temple, and it was on Legion Street. And I always thought that was funny. A few of you laughed. Thank you very much. But the demons say, don't cast us into the abyss, the abuso, the bottomless pit, but cast us into the swine. Now, the irony of that is that somebody in Israel is keeping pigs. That is an actually would have been an illegal business at the time, but Jesus did it anyway. The demons go into the pigs and they immediately run down the embankment and kill themselves. Verse 35 is where I want to pick up. Then they went out to see what had happened and came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had departed. Now note this, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. Sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. I think it's good for us to read these stories because we do see people around us in our own community that are like this. They're, they're wild. They're hopeless. And yet Jesus is able to meet their needs. Able to meet their needs. What's interesting here in this story is that the crowd saw what happened to the man and they became fearful, and they asked Jesus to leave, not ask them to help them with their lives, but they just wanted Jesus to leave. In verse 39, Jesus said to the man, return to your own house and tell what great things God has done for you. And he went his way and proclaimed throughout the whole city what great things Jesus had done for him. 
So that's all Jesus is asking of you and me. Did you know that? We allow him to work in our lives, and then we just go tell other people what the Lord has done for us. And sometimes us being a testimony out in the world, inviting people to church, it's intimidating. We don't know what to say. And, you know, I've, growing up in church, I've known so many Christians who have tried to go out witnessing, and their words are often judgmental or accusing. And it's not the kind of testimony that people want to come and hear. But the very thing that touches people's lives is your genuine sharing of how the Lord has worked in your life. Not if you not if you don't go to church, you're going to hell and those kinds of things. And I used to hear those kinds of things as a kid. And I don't know how I ended up as a pastor, except for the Lord. The Lord had other plans for my life. And Jesus simply sent the man home. Just go tell your friends and family what the Lord has done for you. That's amazing. This last story about a dying girl versus 40 through 56. So it was when Jesus returned that the multitude welcomed him for they were all waiting for him. And behold, there was a man named Jairus. He was a ruler of the synagogue and he fell down at Jesus' feet and begged him to come to his house. For he had an only daughter about 12 years of age and she was dying. But as he went, the multitudes thronged and a woman having a flow of blood for 12 years who had spent all her livelihood on physicians could not be healed by any came from behind and touched the border of his garment. And immediately her flow of blood stopped and Jesus said, who touched me? When all denied it, Peter and those with him said, Master, the multitudes throng and press you, and you say, who touched me? Verse 46, but Jesus said, somebody touched me, for I perceive power going out from me. Now, when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him. She declared, she declared to him in the presence of all the people the reason she had touched him and how she was healed immediately. And he said to her, Daughter, be of good cheer. Your faith has made you well. Go in peace. So you note that there are two stories mixed together here. This man, Jairus, a ruler of the synagogue, important to note, a Jewish leader in the community, he believes that Jesus can heal his daughter who is near death. And on their way to his house, the crowds are pressing in. And this one woman with a 12 year long illness presses through the crowd and touches Jesus. Did you note that she hoped to remain completely anonymous? She did not want to be seen at all. You know, this reminds me of many people who sneak into church who don't want to be seen. And you know what? I love that because they just want to come and hear from the Lord and slip out and go home. 
Nothing wrong with that at all. And I'm not saying that to put any of you on the spot. Here's what I do know is that I know that the Lord is able to minister to those people whether I know it or not. I don't have to have hands raised or hands laid on for prayer. I don't have to have those people come to the altar for prayer by the elders, and all of that is fine. But the Lord can work in somebody's life sitting in the back row all by themselves who slipped in, slipped out, and I never knew anything about it. It happens all the time. There was no big deal here, but it's amazing that that woman had the faith. And she said, if I can only touch his garment, then I'll be healed. I I would like that kind of faith. And she was healed, and Jesus knew it. I love that Jesus knew it, and he wanted to see her face to face, and then became an opportunity for her to share her testimony. Again, it's the same thing. Just tell what the Lord has done in your life. That's what a witness does. They only tell what they've seen, not what they've heard has happened in other people's lives. And I love that. And as they continue on to Jairus' house, someone comes out and says, what? Did you hear what what he said? Your daughter has already died. Now, if you were Jairus on the way home with the solution, the man that could heal his daughter, and they are delayed because some woman takes up Jesus' time, wouldn't you be ticked at that woman? I might be. If I'm so caught up in the urgency of getting my daughter healed, any delay, and now they say, Jesus, to, to, to Jairus, your daughter is, has died. It's as if it's too late. Did you know it's never too late? Another amazing lesson to learn that maybe you've had that occasion where you had an urgent need and you're praying like never before, and you say, Lord, I need an answer by Friday. And all week, you know you're going to get an answer by Friday. And Friday comes and goes, and you get no answer. Has that ever happened to you? And you think, that's it. It's too late. My life is over. The Lord knew, why didn't he come through for me by Friday? The Lord knows your timeline, but his timeline is different. Another amazing, amazing way for you to discover what Jairus had to learn here. There are no timelines with God. He's able to work when he wants to work. When they get to the house, Jesus says, says to those who are, excuse me for coughing, this cold will not go away. But I'm standing and I look pretty well dressed this morning. But I am coughing. So I asked the Lord to heal me by Friday, but he didn't come through. 
They say to him, his daughter is dead. And then they say, don't trouble the teacher anymore. At verse 50, when Jesus heard it, he answered him saying, do not be afraid, only believe, and she will be made well. When he came into the house, he permitted no one to go in except Peter, James, and John. Now, why Peter, James, and John? Because he's training them. They need to see it. They need to see what's going to happen. And the father and the mother of the girl now all wept and mourned for her, for her, but he said, do not weep. She is not dead, but sleeping. And they ridiculed him knowing that she was dead, but he put them all outside, took her by the hand and called saying, little girl, arise. Then her spirit returned and she arose immediately. And he commanded that she be given something to eat and her parents were astonished, but he charged them to tell no one what had happened. Now this, for the record, this isn't reverse psychology. Don't tell anybody what happened so they'll go tell everybody what happened. No, he is not ready for all panic to break out because it's not time for him to go to the cross yet. He needs to slow down the progress of how things are gonna move him toward the cross. Now, Jesus didn't die because Jesus was delayed. Any more than your life gets worse because God didn't hear you praying. He's working things out. He's working things out. But I tend to believe in the story as it's all mixed together, that rather than the woman with the issue of blood and her healing delaying, it actually served to strengthen Jairus' faith. What do you think? Because it all happened on the way for him to need to really believe Jesus, that Jesus could heal and actually raise his daughter from the dead. So look around you at what's happening and learn the lessons of faith from what the Lord is doing around you. And then later on, Peter wrote in 2 Peter, for we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of the power uh, of his majesty. And so we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place. I love this, what Peter wrote in his second letter. All of these things that we've told you about the power of the Lord, these are not stories that were just handed on down to us. We were eyewitnesses of these things. And here is the account in Luke's gospel. Peter then saying, I was an eyewitness to the power of God at work. These are great Bible stories, aren't they? The question is whether they're just stories or whether you and I can have this kind of faith. Now, what does that really mean? It doesn't mean that you and I are going to manufacture these kinds of situations and go out and cast out demons or raise the dead. We're, we're not looking for trouble. But let me say, whatever the Lord puts in your way to do, 
you will have the faith to do it. Whether you believe the Lord is able to meet your need, it might be physical illness, financial need, help for your marriage, for your children. And there will be those amazing times where you will see the power of God suddenly at work in your life. Many years ago, 1993, I moved from California to Portland, became the pastor of uh, Calvary Chapel, Portland. And for a short time, I got a job at Lens Crafters. As I would tell my church, I was giving sight to the blind one hour at a time. And I don't think that I have the gift of healing. It's not something that really happens often in my ministry where I'm, you know, laying hands on people and they're miraculously healed. One day I got a customer, a woman came in and she said, overnight, her glasses prescription tripled in power. Something happened where she just, her vision went crazy. She went to the doctor. The doctor, instead of, I think her regular prescription was around a three or three and a half plus, and it, and it jumped up to like a plus 12. It was just insanely crazy. And I helped her get glasses. We placed the order for the glasses. And I had this overwhelming something come over me. I'm thinking, I have to pray for this woman. How am I going to do this right here in the middle of the store? And then we're all done. She says, you know, is there, is there a restroom in the store I could use? And I, I walked her back to the back room down the hallway. And I just put my hand on her shoulder real quick. And I said, it's down there. That was it. And I prayed in that half a second. A week later, she came back in the store. I got her again as a customer. Her correction, her eyes had corrected back to her original prescription. We got new glasses or new lenses. And I just felt like I should tell her that I prayed for her. I said, you know, when you were here before, I prayed for you. She said, you know, when my husband and I walked out of the store, my husband said, you know, I think that man prayed for you. And she said, my vision corrected. Now, that's an amazing story. But I feel a little bit bad that he didn't have quite enough faith to completely give her 2020 vision. <laughs> but it certainly corrected and went and what I have seen is there are times when the Lord suddenly wants to work through you and it's like the spirit of God comes upon you and you need to go with it. But again, we're not manufacturing these things. I wasn't looking for it and it never happened again in the store. But there are what the, the Bible calls a gift of faith. There's faith for your everyday life, for you to trust the Lord for what you need. And then the Lord is going to work through you in other times to give you extra amounts of faith just to trust him. And I don't know about what you, what you think about what's going on in our church, but I want to see the Lord radically change people's lives in our community. How about people who might come to church that haven't been in church in 15, 20 years suddenly feel like 
they could come and see what the Lord is doing here at our church. And when they come, they say, I like this. I, I like these people. These people, these people love God. For people to come into church and feel welcome and part of the church family again, do you know that's a pretty big miracle? When people have been injured or hurt or let down and they leave the church. What about people that you're just going to meet? And they're going to look at you as a representative of Jesus. Do you know that? You're the representative. You're the sales rep. You're the ambassador, the one who has the authority carrying the name of the king, the king of kings. And it's so important that what people see in us is what the Lord wants us to see about him. If they see us, he would say, Jesus would say, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. But he would also say to the disciples, if they receive you, they've received me. So you and I are supposed to literally be like Jesus. And I think God wants to do that through your lives. So to me, every time we get together, we're just saying, Lord, here we are. Help me to grow. Help me to trust you. We're not hyping, not promoting, not marketing. We want to just see the Lord work in our community. Amen? Amen. Let's stand together. Let's stand together.